0: Hi, this is Charlie Gilkey, author of Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle.
1: Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Charlie Gilkey. Charlie Gilkey helps people start finishing what matters most. In addition to his books, The Small Business Lifecycle and Start Finishing, Charlie is the co-host of the Productive Flourishing podcast and the founder of Productive Flourishing, a top website for planning, prioritization, and productivity for creative people. His work is regularly featured in places like Incom, Forbes, Lifehacker, and HuffPost. Prior to starting Productive Finishing, he served as an Army Joint Force military Military coordinator and was pursuing a PhD in philosophy. Charlie lives in Portland, Oregon, and is here to talk about his book, Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's such a pleasure. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? So, Bill, I know I'm supposed to
0: give one person, but I'm going to give three people, but they're an archetype that's really important here. And those three people were my dad, Bill Hendricks, and James Abernathy. Both were black men who were in the military. The latter two were teachers. And they really taught me, a lot about being both strong, but also being committed to community and being really gentle souls out there doing great work. And I I look back and so much of me comes from them.
1: And were they different from the school culture or town culture in which you grew up so that they served as a beacon through an area that was somewhat confusing or received different or contradictory signals?
0: Looking back, and this is a bit of revisionist history because I didn't have this language as a kid, but they they were really good signals of of black male excellence. And that was very counter to the environment that I was in or the environment in which many black people live in the United States. And when I look back and look at where I've become is like that, they were that counter message. They were the fifth, Jane Mr. Abernathy, Mr. Hendricks were the fifth and sixth grade teachers and they vacillated back and forth about who had each, but they ran the school safety patrol. They ran track and like, they ran the track and field programs. They ran all the sports programs and they were just really there to give us a lot of structure for what it looks like to excel, to be disciplined, to work as a team and to take all of the energy we had and put them towards things that were going to make ourselves
1: and our school and our community better. Those are important messages and you got them early. You were lucky to have them in fifth and sixth grade, such an impressionable time. And it was two years of kind of that consistent message and example that they gave you. You may not have had people like that in high school and maybe when you went off to college. When you first started working in a job after college, can you remember about to make a decision or or form an expectation about somebody and something about their example, their collective example, came forward for you and you were able to take a step back and either make a different decision yourself or take a different action because of their influence.
0: Generally speaking, it they help me see to really look at what people do and what they're trying to do, not what we might think of them, not how they're showing up, not whatever societal trappings that they show up in, like really focus on how people are trying to go forward and trying to do what matters to
1: them in a way that's not hurting other people and helping other people. Do you remember a particular time when you were noticing something and it occurred to you that this is a message that you learned when you were a fifth or sixth grader? There's some quality of, of your personality that came through then.
0: I'm struggling with this one, Bill, because it's so ingrained. Yeah, it's hard to separate. It's hard to separate like where some of these come from,
1: especially because I did go right into the military. And so there's very much that ethos that... So yeah. there, there is a lot of discipline, yet there's also a lot of judgment maybe with someone who you're working with maybe someone who's just supporting you through basic
0: where that came up a lot was actually when I did go through basic training and I had a leg up because my dad was also in the army and so I grew up in this military culture and I knew how it worked and there were so many people that were struggling with the stress of everything it was this new this change they'd never been disciplined before they'd never been yelled at before they've never had to do a push-up because they've done something and in those environments it was one of those things things like, okay, here's how we're going to make this through. And I remember Beverage and Beverage was struggling because this is all super new to him. And he spent a lot of time shell-shocked, a lot of time shell-shocked with everything going on. And there's just constant reminders for Beverage like, okay, Beverage, you can't worry about everything else that's going on. We messed this up yesterday, right? We messed this up this morning. We just have to make it through this next step. Focus forward. Let's get through this. Focus on being the best that you can because that's all we can do. And those are messages that definitely came from, those three men. If we can't focus on everything going on around us, we can only take the next step and drive forward um, and do the best that we can. And as I I mentioned, it was so difficult to separate where that went because, again, I went in Boy Scouts. I I grew up and continued to choose to be in those environments. And that's the other thing that I learned from them and and continue to to really go through is the ability for us to choose the social circles that we're in and to choose the environments that set us up for excelling or for excelling is one of the really underestimated things about being in small business or being an entrepreneur or really achieving anything in life is we may not get to choose where we started. We may not get to choose what environments we come from, but we continue to get to choose who we're around and how we're pushing ourselves towards thriving and pushing them and continually upgrading that. Learned that very early that I can choose... To go this route or I can choose to go that route. And actually, middle school was really catalytic for me, Bill, because I grew up in how every town has that street where it's you don't if you don't pay attention or you get keep getting in trouble, you're gonna end up on that street. I lived on that street. I started there. And so there's just a lot of environments, a lot of things going on around between whether it was drugs, or whether it was alcohol, whether it was like petty criminal activity, sometimes more than petty criminal activity. And those that's where I grew up from. And I had some friends in those activities. But then I had other friends that were doing other things things. They were sticking in school, so on and so forth. And so it was really one of those choices where I remember really it was the start of eighth grade, not even seventh grade. It was eighth grade where I came back from working at a Boy Scout camp where I said, you know what, this is a choice at this point. I can choose to go and be that kid that lives on that street, or I can choose to be the kid that does something different. And I don't know what all that looks like, but I chose to be the the, the latter kid.
1: And recognizing that you had a choice to not be bound and tied to the identity with which grew up is an extraordinary gift, especially at 12 years old, being able to say, you know what, we make that change. I remember very distinctly thinking when I moved, went from sixth grade to seventh grade, I went to a different school and there were very few people from my school, the elementary school that went to that junior high. We had junior highs then, not middle schools. And I thought, this is how I want to be here. I want to be a little bit more outgoing. I want to be a little bit friendlier because I didn't feel as an outcast because I didn't go to that school. I moved into that school. And it was a huge huge opportunity. I did the same thing from junior high to senior high. How do I want to be now? I'm now saying this because I get to be with people who I haven't seen in two years. So I love that you had that experience and you think back on it, making that choice. Because the choice theme runs through not only your childhood and upbringing, but also how people start things and either finish them or choose to be bound by their previous conditioning, old methods, and ineffective habits that lead them to not finishing things. At what point did you say, this is going to be a book that I write? I think it was
0: 2009. I, w- I remember creating a dummy sort of cover for the book. And it was the principles of productive flourishing. I was still deeply into a- academia at that time and alliteration, right? Deeply into academia at that time, but I created it and I thought, you know what? I'm going to write a book on this at some point. I don't know when it's going to be. Don't know what that shapes out to be. And as I continue to write, as I continue to do different things, we move from, we we exited academia, we meaning me, my wife has a PhD in sociology and I'm a near PhD in philosophy, but we exited that, moved to Portland, started growing, productive flourishing even further past where it already was. Three or four years later, come back is like, okay, it's time to write the book. And for different reasons, the first run at getting the book done wasn't, it didn't land well. Um, I can go into a long story about that, but that's actually in that period where I wrote the Small Business life cycle. As a derivative product from your first draft. It was... To not go into publishing and, and all of that sort of landscape, the the book I wanted to write around productivity and, and doing what matters, it just didn't land in the acquisition space in the, with the big publishers in the way that I wanted it to. And I got super frustrated because I'm like, I've been working on this for 18 months, two years. And it was this moment, this is more of the business lesson, I guess. There was this moment to where I was just looking around. I was like, that's that project's not going anywhere. It's frustrating. And I just started scanning for but what's available for me right now. Now, because that's one of my um, sort of ninja hacks, is like whenever I'm getting super frustrated and things aren't going the way, I'll just pause and say, okay, what is going for me right now? What's available to me right now that I'm not able to see because I'm so fixated on this one project or this one goal. And in rapid succession, I got three data points. One was that a lot of search traffic was coming to my website for the small business lifecycle. I'm like, where's this coming from? The second is it was what my clients kept wanting me to talk about more. And the third is people kept wanting wanting me to do more talks and speeches on that. And so I'm like, okay, on the one hand, I've got all of this demand for this other framework, this other thing that I want to work on. And this one's not going anywhere. How about I just do the thing that people are asking me to do? How about I just go that way? And that's how the small business lifecycle came to be.
1: Not only were they asking, they were paying you for it. That's a pretty strong indicator. That's a good source of data. Very good source of data. And that's what I'll tell
0: a lot of aspiring nonfiction authors or people or business owners who are thinking about writing a business who are coaches or consultants or in those places, like if the person that just paid you to have a conversation thought that the idea there was valuable, you already have validation for it. Like it's likely that someone is going to pay a small fraction less than that to get that same idea in book form. So many business owners, so many people are looking out there about what their next book is or what their next marketing piece is or what their next talking point is. And I'm always just like, look at your last meeting. Look what's in your email. That's where your book is. And if you you could spend decades finding that idea out out there overlooking the ones that are right there in you.
1: Yes, very true and great observation. Charlie, you talk about three levels of success, and it's not small, medium, large. What's the terminology you like to use? So I use small, moderate, and epic, and if you're not a
0: millennial, you can say extreme. It's all good. And why I love talking about this, Bill, is, well, so much of my work is about intentionality. And a lot of times we think there's either failing and succeeding, and it turns out there's not, right? There's epic failing and moderate failing at the same time, but we're not talking about failing because we want to talk about succeeding. And small being able to think in those three tiers helps us, one, align our efforts so that it matches the level of goal that we're going after. If you choose to go for, say, a moderate goal, what you should be also be choosing to do is doing it with at least moderate effort. you got to stand and push that forward. So really, to walk this through, Bill, small success is what it sounds like. You got the job done. It's great that you got it done. It's one more thing that you can put in the, the body of work that you created, but maybe it's not super exciting. You Get it done. Moderate success is you get it done in a little bit more. It's something you can be proud of. It's something that you put in the work, you got a great effort, you got a great result from it. Epic is what it sounds like, right? It's one of those things that's probably defining for that year. Maybe it's a defining for that season of your work. It's something that when it comes up, you call your mama and you run around the house, right? You do, we do all these things. You want a celebration, you want to be seen for it. And here's the thing where we struggle and where we find ourselves on a path of suffering is when we expect epic results, but we're putting in small. Effort or moderate effort. And I'm going to irritate some folks here because the reality is, if you set a goal for yourself and you think, you know what, with some effort by myself, I can make that happen, I'd be really excited. That's epic. Wrong. At most, it's moderate. At most, it's moderate. You can only achieve epic level success when you bring in other people, when you build, you know, what I call a success pack, when you show your vulnerabilities, ask for help, work on it over time. You can, that's the only way you can get to epic level of success. And if you're unwilling to do that, what you've told me is you. You really don't want that goal at that level.
1: Let's use just a a real easy writing example where a blog post might be a small success. Having an article published in a journal would be moderate success. And having a book would be epic success by a commercial publisher, not self-published. And to have a really quality book that's well-received and has great blurbs, that's epic success. You you could go probably levels within epic success. Absolutely. 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 And it's very easy to see from your example that if people are only putting in the effort to make a blog post and wondering why they're not having the same response from the external world as someone who put in the months of effort and thinking and all of the marketing necessary to produce an outstanding book, that's a real good gut check because you need to see if you're congruent with what your aspirations are. And at that point, you could make the adaptation, can't you? You could change your effort or you could change your aspiration. There's a third vector. What's
0: that? You could change the amount of time you're willing to invest in a project. I Uh, think time horizon, your time horizon. So we let's be real, we creative small business owners and entrepreneurs, patience is not a strong suit for many of us. And the third vector that you can say is like, you know what, I'm going to put in the work, but I can't do it in this amount of time. But I will work on this for three years to get it done. That's a level of effort, right? It's not intense. But the duration of that is what many people can't do. So that's the third vector that I would say, like you mentioned, the many months, the reality is start finishing came to be after a, at least a decade of thinking and writing and platforming and relationship building and teaching and all of the things. And so sometimes people ask like, how long did it take you to write the book? I was like, when I sit down and did it, maybe five months, but everything preceding that, let's call it decade, 15 years. And so that's the third vector that I think we have available to us that so many people don't allow themselves is do not downplay the power of tenacity over time, because that's what
1: makes it work. Sure. And I've spoken with many people about grit and the tenacity to see things through. And what's always important to remember with that is that it has to be a worthwhile project because some things don't aren't worthy of you putting in all that effort and time. You bring up a concept of a no-win scenario. How do you view that in the context of pursuing something that you have an ambition for, whether it's building a larger team, introducing a product to a new market, maybe even coming out with a new product altogether? Well, I'm going to pause here for just a
0: second. And when I say project, anything that takes time, energy, and attention. So Bill, I know we're talking about projects, but I want people to be thinking the projects of their life too. Because what happens is we make projects out of our business, out of our career, but we don't make projects out of our life. And we wonder why on some of these life fronts, we're struggling and maybe not getting the progress. The reality is we just haven't done the projects that get us where we want to go. What we're is- talking
1: about is the intentional planning and devotion of resources and setting up the milestones the way we do at work in order to improve some corner of our life or some facet of our life.
0: Bill, if you want to give me really excited sometimes frustrated. It's the sometimes helplessness that we that people will feel about what's going on in their personal life when they have these massive skills from being an entrepreneur or being an executive that they're just not applying to that scenario. You'll take master planners that can't figure out how to get groceries. And I'm like, it's you're not making it work, right? You're not applying these skills that you have in this other domain. So let's talk about that. And a lot of times that comes to what I call the air sandwich and competing priorities and head trash and things that, that make people not Take their needs and dreams seriously, but they take their work and other people's priorities seriously. So that's a lot of what's going on there. But one one takeaway is like if you're in if you have a successful small business, you have used things, you have learned things that you can apply to your life and to make your life easier and better. Now, not all things, because life is not business, but there are a lot of things. But no win scenarios. There are three rough classes of no win scenarios. Actually, four. The fourth one came after the book, Bill, and I smacked myself in the forehead when I saw that. so, the first one is that success will harm my relationships or will wreck my relationships. So, if I'm successful, I can't be the dad I want to be. If I'm successful, I can't be the brother I want to be. If I'm successful... And um, let's just
1: draw a distinction here, Charlie. You're talking about actual conflicts with values or other goals, not a belief where you're not going to take any action towards it. But you realistically understand that assuming we're in a world where travel is possible again, that if you go on a hundred city book tour, you're going to miss a significant portion of that year at home.
0: Absolutely. So it's both behaviors and mindset. What I'll say is the mindset piece that will block people from taking action because they'll say, you know what, in the specific example you gave, and thanks for that, they're like, I'd have to be on a plane and that's that means I can't be the dad that I want to be and so forth. And it's like, But is that true? actually. Are there ways you can still remain connected and supportive of your children even while you're doing some of that? Or is it, you know what, when you're on planes and you're on those business trips, that's fantastic. But when you're home, you're 100% dad, right? As opposed to being home and being a quarter dad because you're in different places and substitute dad for mom, right? We're not talking gender on this one, but it's that no-win scenario that I can't be the business leader that I want to be because it's important for me to be, well, because doing that will make me, it will harm my relationships with my wife, with my family, my kids. And where I want to push back there is saying, but is that true? How might you be able to be both? What would that look like? And also who defined what success looks like on either vector, right? Maybe it being successful means you have to be on a plane a hundred times. Maybe that's one way to win, but maybe, and we learned this through COVID, maybe you can start having virtual meetings and you change and disrupt the business. So it's not about you being there in person, right? It's about your presence over a different technology. So an
1: author who was just astonished by this because he thought, oh, I can't possibly ask people to make this presentation virtually. And then when he started to do it, when COVID came, they were delighted to. They were delighted to keep the engagement and have that person's influence and and wisdom shared even remotely because it made a difference.
0: It made a difference. And you realize how hard it is to get 25 people in a room, let alone 200 people in a room. I think after COVID, we're seeing how hard that was. And it doesn't have to be the norm where they're like, wait a second, we can have the same presentation, but we don't have to get all 200 people in the room. Okay. That's actually value add, not value detract. So first one is success will wreck my relationships. The second is the success versus, Is integrity myth? I I call it different in the book, but it's basically the nice guys finish last story, the rich people are thieves story. Like whatever it is, we take what success means, and then we have some value, some integrity line that we think is important, and we say I can't have both. I can't be a person of high integrity, of high generosity, and be rich at the same time. I can't be someone who really wants to take care of her team but be a great leader at the same time. I can't. It makes you a villain.
1: That's essentially what happens: is you think that it turns you into a villain.
0: Yeah. So if you win in this one, you lose in this other. That's how no win scenarios go. The third is the what if I can't do it again trap. And this one's really insidious for a lot of people in the sense where they'll say, if I win at that epic level, what if I can't do that again? What if that was a one shot? Maybe I was just lucky and then I'll spend my entire career with this high that I'll never be able to live under or I'll live in the shadow of that so we don't invest in certain ways. So that's the third. Now, the fourth one that's emerged is success will cost me my health, my mental well well-being or my emotional well-being and I'm unwilling to do that. So I can be successful, but I'm going to have to burn myself out and tear my body up and things like that. So it's really a variation on one, but it's just applied to yourself. And this is the one when I was like, I talk about this all the time. How did I not see that? But sometimes you just don't see your own work. So the thing about no one scenarios, Bill, is that when you really feel that you're in a grip of one, you're going to shoot for mediocrity. You're going to shoot for neither really winning nor losing or failing because we just don't like failing. It's easy why we see that we don't like failing, but if you really believe that succeeding at a high level means that you have to give up something that's really important to you, that really matters, you're not going to succeed at a high level. You're going to be in this middle zone where so many small businesses are, where so many business leaders are to where you're doing okay. Like it's notable, but you're not really on top of it in the same way that you would. And
1: you're also not failing. It's really playing without, it's going into an arena on a sports field or into a stadium and not playing full out. Precisely. And so many of us, I'm really going to irritate people on this, Bill.
0: Do we really need more second and third place trophies? Think about how many you have, listener. Think I've got a few, Bill's got a few, where we didn't go all out. So we didn't win first place. We, we didn't win that, but we competed. We were there. We did well. And so I would just ask that for certain dimensions of your life or your business, you say, you know what, in those places, I'm going to go for it, but I'm not going to have to do that in every place. And that's where this level of success stuff comes back because I know this is perhaps radical, but you can't achieve epic level success in all dimensions of your life and business. You can't run that. If you do, you're going to wear yourself out. You have to choose certain places where you're going to be that level which means you get to choose other places where you can be acceptably mediocre. For example, I'm acceptably mediocre at email. I'm not going to end every week at inbox zero or most days at inbox zero. I'm not going to be the fastest response. If Bill emails me, I'm not going to give, you know, that 15 that fifteen seconds later I'm responding. That's just not going to be the way that I'm going to do. But with what I do and what I want to be great at, that's what I want to excel at. So they might say, Charlie's a pain in the butt in email. Like it takes him four days to get back to me. But when he showed up, he really showed up.
1: Charlie, could that possibly be a fifth avenue of no-win success where somebody feels like, if I'm going to be really good, people are going to expect me to be really good at everything. If I write a great book, they're going to think that all my clothes are picked up and I don't have trouble putting laundry away and that I have a fabulous garden and that on and on. Could that possibly be another way that people hold themselves back Is just overgeneralizing based on other people's expectations? That's a great idea. It
0: absolutely could be. It could also be a subfactor of the second one to where success will mean like, like, I'll, ha- I'll be perceived this way across the board. But yeah, let's call it a fifth one, attributed to Bill Ringle. So when if we ever do a second edition and that one slides in there, I'll know who to
1: have write this section on it. Check. Thank you. So Charlie, with people who are looking at this, how do you reclaim focus and momentum so you shirk off some of these False boundaries and limitations, and you start to build momentum to actually pursue things in a, an epic way. So I think of a high jump is an epic jump, but you don't just stand in front of the bar and leap. Yeah, two things on this one. Just because your
0: head trash, which is that those limiting beliefs, the social stuff that you pick up, the the bad stories you tell yourself, just because they're not true, doesn't mean that they won't continue to work on you. And that's what's really frustrating. You can know they're not true, and they continue to work on you. And so I want to let go of this idea that once we change your mindset that it's once and irrevocably changed and that you won't be dealing with the stories you've been telling yourself over the last decades. Old trees have really deep roots. So that's the first thing give yourself some grace because you might find that you went to that conference or you heard that podcast and the next three days you're on fire and then you wake up on that fourth day and you're stuck in the same thought patterns. Okay, not just you, takes a while. The second thing is that I'll say as far as taking a while is I've seen a lot of folks really need to have a quarter, two, sometimes three to where they work all off the debt of projects that they chose because of different mindsets, because of misalignment or whatever. And it just takes them two to three quarters to let those go so they can get to their real focus zone and start focusing on things that matter. So, again, give yourself the grace. And it's not that you change your mind today and you're out of the consequences of the past. You have to work through that. So, that also says the path forward, right? One is when you start feeling the tug of that head trash and those no win scenarios, that's where you stop and say, you know what? I've got what feels like values to. Here is it a necessary conflict or is it just an apparent conflict? Is it something I believe or is it something my parents or my brother or my boss believes? You'd be surprised how many things, how many beliefs, how many certain perspectives that reside in your head that
1: are not actually your perspectives. They're somebody else's. Did you ever list all the ones that you were battling or needing to categorize and give away to some cosmic salvation army?
0: Yeah, drop them at the curb. Look, for me, yeah, for me, sometimes I'm like, what is? I know when I go there and my thing about Abila is saying, what's going on here? And then I'll start listing all the things. I think this, I feel this seems like it seems true. And I'll just list what all I'm feeling. And then I'll start going, do I really feel that? Or am I hungry? Is that true? Or do I just think it's true? How would I test that? How would I validate that? It's like, oh crap, that's my mom. Okay, mom, I love you. But no, you can see where things start to come. Do you get to some of those things that are true? That feels true. It feels true that I don't want to do this project because I don't want to be doing it for the next five to 10 years. I don't want to be doing that type of activity. Activity for the next five to 10 years. If I choose to do that now, I'll likely end up doing that five to 10 years from now or have to quit at some point. So I'm going to quit up front, right? So I'm going to preemptively quit so that I don't have to quit down the road. Okay. That feels true. Or I could say, I'm not going to like that. Why won't I like that? Do I think I won't like it? And so this is a side bill and you had no idea where we we're going to go with this, but anytime people take on new, significantly new projects, I encourage them to put, in, put them into what I call a new project cocoon. This is not make the book. And the new project cocoon is basically a period of time to where you don't take your feelings so super seriously about that project,
1: right? Because we humans... Give me it, situ- Charlie, st- give me, for instance, of some project that you put into the new project, Cocoon, and describe what you went through in order to see what direction it would take.
0: I could give one. I had this the other day where I was trying a new fitness program and I went into it and it's like, you know what? For the first five times of trying this fitness program, I get to feel whatever I feel, but I'm not going to take it seriously. I don't get to say I don't like this. I don't get to say I don't like this instructor. I don't get... To suspend. I can say I don't like it in This moment, I'm frustrated in this moment, this is uncomfortable, so on and so forth. But I'm not gonna say from that first experience, I don't like that. Now, if I do five or so and I'm like, you know what, I actually really don't like this, then I'll stop doing it. But the thing about it is that we on one hand, we are creatures that love novelty. On the other hand, we are creatures that love consistency and stability. And most of our most of the the struggle of human condition is that we live with these contradictions every day. And so a lot of times when we're trying a new project, it's just that it's new that you don't like it. It's you have to do something a little bit different. You have to use this program, and you're not liking the program. You're not used to the program. You're like, like it's just a lot of that belly aching that comes up when it's just new. It doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. It doesn't mean that once you learn the shortcuts, the keyboard shortcuts for this program, you'll be just as fast as with your current program. But if you apply all of that intensity that comes when when change happens to the first
1: parts of a project, you won't stick through with it. Yeah, that's an important just. It's an important sequencing that helps people understand and expect that there's going to be discomfort at early stages of the project and to make a commitment to go through the normal period where you work those out and then you have a much better sense of whether you evaluate whether it's worth pursuing or what adaptations need to be made in order for it to be successful at the level you've chosen.
0: Absolutely. And that's all it does is it makes, it takes the ephemeral feelings you might have about change and just puts it on ice a little bit so you can actually see the benefits of what that change might be so that you can actually stick with it. I use this for diets. Like, I hate this. I don't like it. I don't like this food. Okay. Just eat it. Eat it enough. And if you really don't like it afterwards, after you've eaten and you've cultured your taste, then maybe you don't eat it then. Or I don't like not being able to ser- eat a certain thing. Okay. That's because It's a change. Deal with it for a little bit. See what happens. And then see what happens after you've dealt with it for three to five days. Because a lot of times after three to five days, it doesn't, turns out, doesn't suck as bad as you thought it did at the beginning.
1: Charlie, what I love about that approach is that you're really taking responsibility for establishing rules that fit your particular circumstances, your particular a point in life and what you've set your aspirations to.
0: Absolutely. That's the goal. And as you're constantly evolving, as you're finishing more projects, as you're adding elements to your business, as you're raising your rates, as you're introducing new products, new teammates, just as soon as you get used to whatever you're currently doing, it's time to do the new thing. And this is where small businesses get stuck. And this is where small business leaders get stuck is because you almost constantly have to be in this discomfort of the new and the old influence. And the more that you're able to tolerate that and help your team tolerate that, the more that you're able to see what your next best projects are going to be. But if your business is largely just let's do what we've been doing it the way we've been doing it, that has an expiration date on it.
1: I'm going to put a pin there because maybe we should come back and talk about how to cultivate that whole mindset and discipline of looking to be comfortable in the uncomfortable for leaders. But my question for you now, Charlie, is are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? I am ready. Let's do this. At the beginning of the interview, I asked you about someone who influenced or inspired you and you broke the rule. Rather than gave me one person, you gave me three and I'm cool with that. Now I'm going to ask you, what's a song you loved as a teenager? Let's
0: go hip hop array by naughty by nature. There's some things I can't say, but you've heard this course in the background. Hooray! Ho! Hey! It was one of those callback sounds of the 90s, right when
1: hip hop was cresting and and hitting the national level. So your mission is to help people really finish what they start and make it something that is more fulfilling. And it really benefits the world to have more people finish what they start and have the tools and frameworks so that they understand that. What's been the most effective way that you've found to get your mission out about this each week, especially given the pandemic?
0: Making sure that... My morning focus block, 9,820 minutes of just focus time is allocated to the thing that is most important for the day or week. And so it's really one of those things that first things first applies to me. Although first things first doesn't always mean first in sequence.
1: What's the best life advice you've ever received?
0: Not everything you enjoy needs to become something you do for work or for your career. It's important to have outside hobbies and pleasure. And the more that you do that, the more that you can keep things pure. Think back over the
1: last six months, what's the best $100 or so purchase you've made? An AeroPress coffee maker. Complete this prompt for me. I can tell with a high degree of certainty that a team leader is very effective when I notice... That their team can work without them. And if you think back over the last year, and it's been a a wild year for sure, what do you think is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction?
0: The mindset that I've done the most to cultivate during the last year has been embrace the opportunity to create a better new normal.
1: And what's one way that is obvious that can be observed in your environment that you've created a better new normal?
0: We converted our garage into a gym. And your wife's along with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been wanting to do it for a long time, but it was actually hers. She's like, okay, I'm ready. So we did it. So there we go. Fabulous. It's
1: not like she's going to walk in there after this podcast
0: and say, what? Generally not a good rule to change your house around without your partner's buy-in. Just saying.
1: Yeah, it's something to test. Charlie, you have contributed so much, both wisdom and fun on my quest for the best today. I want to thank you so much for talking about the people who influenced you growing up and how the three levels of success really is a framework that people can use for not only determining what and defining what their level of success looks like, whether it's going to be small, moderate, or epic, but also seeing whether they're putting in the congruent effort as well as the appropriate timeline to see if it's going to lead to that level of satisfaction. We talked about no-win scenarios and the importance of looking at those different breakdowns and evaluating where we could be tripped up by whether it's something that might harm relationships, violate some integrity, prevent us from repeating it on other levels and Other domains, or that it might have a personal cost or fill into someone's expectations that you need to be excellent in all areas. And all of these things are ways that people can now identify these traps and sidestep them, hopefully. You made the very important point that head trash, even if it's recognized, might still affect you. You Even though it's in the trash, it might still be stinky. So you need to make sure. That you are diligent about it and take it out and ask those questions, which keep your dashboard clear and your mind relatively free of that trash so you could build the momentum. You talked about your daily morning routine and your focus time, and I think that people ought to be reading your blog and your book for sure in order to learn more about that. You talked about the new project cocoon, which isn't in the book, that listeners to the podcast are going to get special insights on. So for these and so many more reasons, Charlie, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best.
0: Bill, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Now, Charlie, before we say goodbye for now, where can we find out more about you and your work online? All
0: of my work lives at ProductiveFlourishing.com. You can find out more about the book, other projects we're working
1: on. So... well. Charlie, we're going to link to ProductiveFlourishing.com. We're going to link to your social media so people can find out what's going on and what you're posting and what's interesting to you there. And we're going to link to both your books as well as future books so that when people come to these show notes, they're going to find out everything there is going on and they could follow you to get closer and and bring you more of your ideas into their work life and their personal life. So Charlie Gilkey, author of Start Finishing, How to Go From Idea to Done. Thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Have a great day, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community you can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.